All right, tonight we're going to be in Acts 13. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts 13. Last week, as uh, Josh shared, um, from chapter 12, you saw a lack of faith in the praying, unbelief in the praying, and yet God still answered the prayer. And that's it's so comforting. That's what's so great about that chapter is that, you know, they prayed, and then when God answered it, you know, yeah, right, was a response to the ones that were faithfully lifting up Peter and there he stands and they don't believe it and, and they're so dumbfounded that God answered their prayer. But he did. And I'm very thankful for that. That in my unbelief, although I'm doing the work, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're doing what you know you're supposed to do, and you're not so sure where your heart stands on it or not, but you're gonna do it anyway. By faith I'm gonna do what God tells me to do, but I'm pretty sure he's not gonna answer it. And God does, and he steps in, and that's a wonderful thing to know. It's a wonderful thing to know about our God and our Father and how much he loves us and how anxious he is for any opportunity to answer prayers, you know? Close enough is kind of the attitude there in chapter 12. Good enough. I love that because um, I so often don't feel good enough, like I'm not close enough, you know? Um, but with God, it's like, did they say Peter's name? Bam, open the doors, let him out, send an angel, get him out here, knock on the door, blow him away, you know. But tonight in chapter 13, it's the exact opposite. These are men praying by faith, walking by faith, stepping out by faith, not knowing the outcome, um, but in belief. And it's beautiful to see what God does here. I think it's amazing, as we know, this is a book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and I say that over and over again because I don't think we can emphasize it enough, how much the Holy Spirit has been administrated out of the church in a lot of ways. I mean, just think about this as a fellowship, perhaps. Um, suppose I just buy, I leave because of sin or because, I don't know, I'm a flake and I just wanted to leave and go to California and live in Hollywood or something. Um, I bring that up because Seth was driving around Hollywood out there today, sending me snapshots of the mansions. Honestly, he goes, Dad, I have to live here. I'm going to take care of orphans and live here. Is what he <laughs> but suppose I flake out, and, and all of a sudden you've got to figure out, well, what are we going to do for a pastor kind of thing? I don't know. What do you do? Well, you do chapter 13. It's real simple. And I love this, but that's not what most churches do. They don't do chapter 13. They get a committee, and they get uh, some, some candidates, you know, and they interview, and they check them out, and they check references, and what is this, a 500 fortune company? It ain't. <laughs> but chapter 13 is how it's done. It's how it was done, it's how, it's how it's supposed to be done, it's how it's supposed to be done in the future. This is how it's done in God's economy, in God's church. And so I love this chapter. This is what you do. Verse 1, now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them. They sent them away. That's how you find a pastor. That's how a ministry starts. At God's direction, 
You don't start off and go running down the road and say, God, catch up, join us, bless us, bless us, bless our efforts. That's not how it works. That's not how ministry goes. These guys were ministering to the Lord. It says there right off the bat that there were prophets and teachers. This tells us something. As you look at these men's names, Barnabas, Simeon, uh, Lucius, Menaean, uh, 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 and Saul, some of them were prophets, some of them were teachers. That means the gift of prophecy was still enacted, and none of these guys were the original 12 disciples or apostles. Okay? None of them. And so the gift of prophecy was enforced then, and it still is enforced today. And it isn't telling the future. We don't need any more. Uh, well, it is. But it isn't the, this kind of prophecy that we think of like Revelation or like we think of some of the things in Isaiah or Psalm 22 or something like that. These prophecies that were telling us about what the Messiah is going to do and what he's going to go through and all these things. These are real-time conversations of God or voices, the voice of God, speaking through men for a specific task at different times, different seasons. This is a prophecy about a ministry that wasn't written about in the Bible. It wasn't talked about in Isaiah or Jeremiah. This is something new. We're going to do this tomorrow. That's why he says, now I want you to separate from me Paul and Barnabas for the ministry that I've called them to. I want you to separate from now. You do it. That's the gift of prophecy in force there. And so you've got some prophets and you've got some teachers and they're ministering to the Lord. I don't know what that looked like. They're praying, maybe praising, worshiping, singing, spending some time alone, a little tiny, you know, men's retreat kind of thing. And they're ministering to the Lord. And something's on their heart, obviously. They're, they're praying and they're fasting. When you fast in prayer, you usually don't fast, and I'm not saying this for everything in this, you know, all the time, but you usually don't fast unless you've got something specific you're praying for. Boy, I've got to pray about this, so I'm going to fast, kind of to put an exclamation point at the end of it is the idea. And so it's probable that they were praying for how do we reach the world for Christ, is my guess. Because they've already gone to Jerusalem, they've already gone to Judea, and the only other, the next step, the third step is into the other parts of the world. What do we do? And that is where this first missions trip goes. So they're praying and they're seeking the Lord. They're ministering to him. I think that's important. They've set this time aside. They're together. They're not distracted. And they're seeking the Lord. And when that moment comes, and believe me, you could have a million of these meetings and nothing happen, and God not speak, but if God does want to speak, the opportunity is availed him for him to speak through you or to you. And that's so important. That's why prayer times are so important. That's why quiet times are so important. You avail yourself to the Lord. You make yourself there for it. Whatever you need today. Nothing, fine. But I'm your servant. You're not my servant. I'm your servant and I've made myself available to hear what my master would bid me do. You know, is the idea. And we get can't get, shouldn't get upset when we don't hear him, you know, but make yourself available. Minister to the Lord. And they do that. And so out of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, this was spoken. The Holy Spirit said, now we don't know if it was a voice, probably not. That's probably through prophecy. So through a man, because that's why it's mentioned that there were prophets and teachers there because the Holy Spirit spoke and the gift of prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's how we believe, and that's what we believe is taking place here. Now separate to me. Now do it, not later. Don't need to lay out any fleeces. Don't need to see if it's wet tomorrow or dry tomorrow and squeeze it out and all that. It's, it's supposed to be that quick, you know? 
Boy, when God moves, he moves. And when he doesn't, he doesn't. Anybody bear witness with that? Oh, sometimes I get so impatient with God. He just does not go fast enough at times. But then when he does decide to move, I'm like, slow down. You know, I don't know if I can keep up. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. Now these guys have already been separated unto the Lord, haven't they? They've already been called into the ministry. They already are ministering in certain ways. But this is something different. It's a change of direction. It's a ministry within the calling of God on their lives. A specific task. I was saved a long time ago. Twenty Over 20 years ago I was saved. Born again. Called into the ministry and been serving in the ministry. But every time God wanted to make a move, He spoke to my heart, spoke through prophecy, spoke through His Word, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom or something, or from somebody else for the task, the next thing that God's called me to. So I don't understand what this is like. I've I've experienced this before, and you can as well. So separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. And so there was a laying on of hands that took place, a lot like what Timothy had happened to him. In Paul's letter to Timothy, this young pastor, he says, I want you to remember that gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands. And stir that gift up. I'm paraphrasing it. That's not exactly how it goes, but that's the gist. Don't forget that thing. Which means gifts can be given and we could operate on them, but they can go dormant for a while simply for not being used. You know? When I missed last Wednesday, I'm just chomping at the bit. I don't like it when my mouth doesn't get to do that, you know, up here. I just miss it. And God gave me three opportunities this week afterwards to minister to people right there at my desk. One was for a co-worker. So, you know, uh, and these things don't happen. They don't happen. But he gave me three opportunities. One was with uh, Chad, the FedEx guy. I don't know if you know Chad. I got to talk with him. He says, hey, I got some questions about Thessalonians. And so we just sat there and talked about Thessalonians. And my bosses are cool with that because they, they know what I do. Benny knows what I do, and that's, he, so they don't care if I stop and talk about stuff like that. So I'm not, like, breaking the rules. Um, so I got to talk to Chad a little bit and say, I think this. And one of the questions is, like, dude, I don't have a clue either. Man, I don't know. He's like, good, I feel better now because I don't have a clue either. And then the other one was a coworker, had some questions. And so I got the opportunity to do that. But, boy, I can see where... If you didn't exercise the gift, if you didn't get to share what was on your heart and do what's just burning inside of you, you can see where that fire might go out. It could diminish. And so it was this reminder to Timothy to stir up that gift, which was given to him by the laying on of hands. Here's another time where they laid hands on them and sent them away. In other words, it was this blessing. It was confirmation. It was we all agree. We all heard. The Holy Spirit spoke. And that's something that these guys are going to need to have in their back pocket as they're out in the mission field because they're going to get beat up. And there may be times when they wonder, I don't know if I should be here or not. I don't know if this was really God's call. I don't, and they're going to think back to, no, 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 everybody heard it. It was real. It wasn't something we made up. We didn't even say it. It was Niger the one that said it. He was the pro- I'm making this up. We don't really know who the prophecy came from, but it was Niger that said it. He's the one that spoke, and we didn't say anything. We knew we wanted to go to the world. We didn't know what to do, and all of a sudden, Niger speaks up and says, God wants you guys to get him. They laid hands on us, and we went, and they, it encourages you, you know, that this isn't a ministry of me. 
out of my own brain, out of my own head. This is something that I started and asked God to join me. This is something that was God's idea. So therefore, this is going to go great. This is a this is a tempest, this is a trial, this is terrible, and man, that hurt, whatever it is, rocks, sticks, whatever they got that day. But that means we're going in the right direction, you know? Because you can wonder sometimes. But they had that to hold on to, and that's so important. That confirmation from other brothers and sisters who said, yes, God spoke, God spoke. And so what a great way to find your pastor. What a great way to be called into the ministry, be sent into the ministry, you know. You don't always have to have hands laid on you. It doesn't always have to be a consensus. I just keep that in mind. This is one story, one example of where it is. I think it's important, though, that we note that somebody didn't have an idea for a ministry and put it on somebody else. They were all praying, wondering what to do, and God spoke, and they all agreed, and and they went. I think that's important. It's easy for us to have lots of ideas of what the church should be doing or ministries that should take place, and why aren't we doing this, that, or the other thing. And usually, in the Scriptures anyway, I I don't know about every... Well, I think that's all that matters. When God puts something on somebody's heart, they're supposed to pray about it, and usually they're the ones that go. You don't get something from God and say, God's given me wisdom. Well, there, right off the bat, I got a red flag, you know. Okay, what's your wisdom? You know, God wants you to go over there and do this. I don't think so, because I'm in prayer too, and he didn't speak to me. You know, I'm glad he spoke to you. Maybe you ought to go kind of thing, you know. You should go. Oh, not me. This is a, an example of when if God does call you or puts a burden on your heart, then by all means go by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, but understand it's your ministry. It's yours. You're called to it. You're called to lead it. You need to go to the Lord. You can't be looking around at everybody else as to why they haven't joined you or uh, caught your vision. You know, hmm. you just go do it. You just go do it. An incident, not an incident had a um, moment where we've got a brother in the Lord who's a little discouraged right now. He's a pastor, and he's been going for a while now, and, and he's, he says it's been rough, you know. Well, what do you mean by rough? Well, I'm not seeing a lot of fruit and all that. Well, the problem with that is that you had expectations then. It's not ending up like you thought it was going to be. See, the prophets of old went out and did exactly what God told them to do, whether there was a crowd or not, whether people agreed or not, whether people got saved or not. In fact, we had one prophet, Jonah, was hoping nobody gets saved. He was hoping he'd have a congregation of none at the end of the day. No, you go into the ministry and you do a ministry and you do a calling because God's told you to do it. It makes no difference whether anybody shows up or not or hears you. You do it because God's told you to do it. You're not responsible for the outcome. God is. God's responsible for the fruit. He brings the increase. But when you say it's rough and it's not turning out like you thought, you shouldn't have had thoughts. You really shouldn't have. I mean, it's hard not to be disappointed. There are many times when we started this church, when I go to the radio station to do a Thursday night study or something, 
wait about 15 or 20 minutes and say, okay, I guess I'm, I told you this before, I, I know I'm telling the same story over and over again, but family night tonight, you know, just lock the doors and go home because no one came. But to be honest with you, I was kind of excited to go home and hang out with the kids. You know, that's great. You know, you just, you got to let it, you got to, hey, I, I prepared a meal, I studied, I cooked it, you know, I had the garnish, I had everything, and it was all laid out on the table and it was ready and nobody's hungry, nobody needed it that night, and that's okay. That's okay. And you go home and you spend time with your family and you bless them. All that energy that was going to go out into all these people, um, it all went into the family, went into the other people, went into the other, your first flock of sheep that God gave you, you know. Anyway, that being said, you may be called into the ministry by yourself. Go with God's blessing and be focused on him and pay attention to the Holy Spirit and be led and be faithful in what he's called you to do, no matter what the fruit, no matter what the outcome, until he tells you to stop, do it. Do it. On the other hand, you have moments like these where the church laid hands on them and sent them away and supported them. This is the first time we see this in the book of Acts, a concerted effort to reach the lost. We support you, Paul and Barnabas, for this ministry. Go on your first mission trip here. Take with you what you need, and we're sending you out. And we're praying for you. I mean, it's the first time we see this taking place. It's neat. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So, see the connection there? They sent them away, the very next verse. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit is indistinguishable. It was no man's idea here. This was all the Holy Spirit through men. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, Salamis, I think, I don't know, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They, They also had John as their assistant. That's thrown in there. John Mark. He's a little guy. Young guy, I should say. I don't know if he's probably you know, how these young farm kids are like 12 foot something and 3,000 pounds, you know. He's just a kid. Yeah, he could lift a tractor. So I don't know how big John Mark is, but he's younger. He's the assistant. He didn't get laid hands on necessarily. He's brought along to kind of watch, observe, and kind of do whatever they can do. Go get us bread. Go do this, whatever, you know. If we get arrested, pray, you know, kind of thing. That's what John Mark was called to do. They had kind of a funny thing in the synagogues. Boy, I'd be nervous to do that. But they would just, on a Saturday, when they'd meet at the synagogues, they just it was open mic. Hey, brothers, you're new to town. you have anything to share from the Lord? Can you imagine doing that today? Sorry, <laughs> ain't going to happen. <laughs> yes, you know, no. Um, <laughs> I'm not opposed to open mics, but boy, I want to have a, a volume knob really quick if I need to because, well, people are crazy. Um, but they would have this open synagogue, you know, and they would, and, and so they would preach in these synagogues from place to place. Now, small town, small group, you know, um, no fear there, you know, not a bunch of wackos. And, 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 and of course, if they needed, if they had someone strange, they had, you know, you could, hey, sit down, who's this guy? Um, they could tell by these guys when they came in, hey, you guys have something to share? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we do. So they, they do, they get to share. Now, when they had gone through, the island of uh, Paphos, um, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, or son of Jesus, or son of Joshua, and it's really not even that, it's son of Yeshua, because there's no J sound in the, in the Hebrew language, it's Yah. So, 
son of Yeshua is, is a better way to pronounce that. But in, in Greek, it would be Bar-Jesus. That's how they said it. So they found this false prophet, a sorcerer, um, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. So he's got this uh, spiritualist that would walk alongside of him and give him advice when he needed it kind of thing. Common thing back then. Um, an advisor, but a spiritual advisor. Ronald Reagan had some interesting advisors that would come up. Um, anyway, um, I like Ronald Reagan, don't get me wrong. Ronaldus Magnus, I'm all for him. But um, but had some interesting thing. But every president, every leader, every king has these people around you, some of them good. you got Franklin Graham right now coming alongside, and Billy Graham would also at times, great guys, wonderful men of faith. Um, and then you've got people like this, though. People like this, this Bar Jesus guy. So he's alongside of this pro council. He's kind of the leader. This man called for Barnabas and Saul, this Sergius Paulus, the head guy, the intelligent man, called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the pro council away from the faith. Dangerous place to be. Most dangerous place to be is to be in this guy's shoes right here. He wanted to turn the proconsul away from the faith. I don't want you to hear the truth. I don't want you to hear what these guys have to say. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looking intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, Will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Bam, you know. See, it's one thing if Paul is just speaking to Elimus by himself on a desert road, probably not how you would minister to the guy. But boy, when someone steps in between God and one of his future kids or kids, that's when Jesus went off. It's better that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be tossed into the river than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. God hates it when people get in between him and the people he's trying to reach. And this is the result. Full of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit wanted to say to Elimus. You understand that? I don't know if we can get our mind around that. This is what I want you to say to him, Paul. Say exactly what I tell you to say, because I'm furious. You tell him he's the son of the devil. You tell... And he goes off on this guy. And tell him also he's going to be blind for a while, too, while you're at it. Now, wow. I don't know if we think about that sometimes. You know, I am all for, we want people converted. We want people to know Jesus. We want them to come from the dark into the light. But we will never sacrifice lambs or sheep to get them. Ever. Never put a sheep or a lamb in the mouth of a wolf. They're a wolf. Always have to be careful. See, it's the love, not for Elimus, that causes Paul to speak like this. It's the love for the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, that causes Paul to speak like this. That's what the Holy Spirit's concerned with. It's a love for this man who's trying to hear the truth and this other man steps in between them and Paul says, you're blind for a time, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, I should say, and you're not going to be able to see the sun because you're spiritually blind, I'm going to make you physically blind. I wonder if Paul can identify with that. How fitting, right? Paul, 
you need to get off your horse and you're going to be blind for a while. Three days, right? So he's able to do it back to somebody else. I don't know if he probably, I didn't think of it that way, but interesting how God uses us. Paul said, this worked in my life. It got me to see the truth. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. This, this uh, well, this son of the devil. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I love that. He, he didn't come to know the Lord because this guy got blinded. He was astonished at what took place for sure, but what was astonishing to him more is that the teaching of the word of the Lord. Just, it's astonishing. And he believed and he got saved. Boy, you just don't want to get in the way. You just don't want to get, I don't, some of the things I, I'd love to share with you and I just can't. God won't let me, you know. Sometimes, I, I shared with you the one about what happened up here at the Mary Lynn when we couldn't get that for, uh, for um, the, the fall banquet that we're going to have um, for the source medical clinic. And this guy just would not get us, wouldn't let us in the door. He had open dates, but he wouldn't, because some, somebody else might want to use it. He just fought us, every stuff. And I just prayed, we all prayed, but we prayed. I said, God, I pray to you again. I prayed a little more specific than everybody else in the board meeting. I said, God, get this guy out of the way. If he's in the way of what you want to do, get him out of the way, please, Lord. Not telling you what to do, I'm asking you what to do. He's gone. He's arrested. He's in prison. I didn't think that. I mean, I wasn't praying that. I thought maybe find a new job or something. I had no idea. He was a perv, and they caught him taking video of his stepdaughter and everything and then got him arrested and all. I'm like, and he's out of the way and the next guy that came in said, sure, you can have it for that date. I'm like, nice, God. Nice. We've had people, when we were getting the radio station started, we had someone in the way there and actually Pastor Steve Johnson prayed this. God, get this guy out of the way. The guy died. That's extreme. Died. The guy that was blocking us from getting the 93.5 up on the air and would not let this thing go through, he's in the F- F- FCC, just fought us, fought, and was fighting everything, fighting everybody that was trying to do it. And all of a sudden, this guy just dropped, and all of a sudden, like 30 radio stations went through after this guy died. I'm like, whoa. The list goes on and on. Boy, you just, and I'm not, and I, that's in fear of the Lord for me. Uh, there's no power in my prayer, but there is something that I'm making a mental note of and a heart note of. Boy, I want to stay out of God's way and in his will. How's that? Because when he wants to minister to people and you stand in between them and him, that's just a bad place to be, you know? Like standing between a mother and her son or, or daughter, right? Or a dad and his daughter. Just don't get in between us kind of thing. Neat. Neat thing to see here. God is real. God moves and God is active today. And he wants to reach people. I'm excited for breaking chains. I'm excited for adversity. I'm excited for, you know, some things that feel like mountains, you know. I'm, I'm, maybe you're like, yeah, okay. But, you know, I know you are. I know you are. But it's like, because, <laughs> um, you know, when you run into those things, it's like, great. We're absolutely on the right track then, you know? Because if this was smooth sailing, I'd be concerned. I'd be worried about it. If this was just, oh, this is easy. 
Well, maybe because it's not going to be effective. But if it's hard, hmm, I wonder who's going to get saved. I wonder what kid's going to get saved. I wonder what adult's going to get saved. I wonder who the unexpected, accidental saved people are going to be, you know? I'm excited. So the guy's blind. He gets his sight back later, but... The proconsul believed, saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Pampas, so they came to Perga in Pamphylia. There's a lot of peas there. And John, departing from them, that's that John Mark. It didn't last long. We don't know what happened, but we do know later on in chapter 15, verse 38 of the book of Acts, Barnabas wants to take John Mark again on the second missionary trip, and Paul says, no, absolutely not. This guy bailed on us. He was furious. So what's not written here is stated in chapter 15, John Mark's a baby. He doesn't actually write that, but that's the idea. He ran with his tail between his legs, and he has no business being on the mission field. No, not bringing him with us to the point where there was a division between Barnabas and Paul, and they start two different ministries. Barnabas takes John Mark, and Paul takes Silas, right? Timothy and Silas. Yeah, Silas. There's the one singing in the prison. Yeah, it takes Silas, and they have this, I ain't taking him. Well, I am. Fine, have him. It's that big of a deal. And some say Barnabas is right, and I think there is uh, some validity to that. We'll go over it more in chapter 15, but later on, Paul says, bring John Mark to me. He's useful to me in the ministry. Barnabas, that's kind of what he does. He finds that guy, that guy that blows it, that guy who's made mistakes and pulls him under his wing and helps him, just like he did with Saul. Nobody wanted Saul around, and Barnabas was the guy to help him, right? So that's kind of Barnabas's ministry. He's a son of encouragement. So John freaked out, wanted to go back to mom. That's that's bad. He shouldn't have done it. But Barnabas later on has forgiveness for him and says, I can train this kid up. I know, he's, I know he wants to be in the ministry. He just made a mistake. But the other thing to note is that the book of Acts follows Paul and not Barnabas after this event. So I lean more towards Paul on this. It's not good to bail in the ministry. And I think that's why you need to make sure you have that chapter or that verse 3 that we just read of 13 to hold on to Um, because you're going to need it. There are going to be times when you want to run, when it's going to get rough, when you miss home, when it was easier back there. I'm not sure I'm supposed to be here. You need that verse 3 where you remember them laying hands on you and praying and the Holy Spirit spoke so that you continue on through the hard times. It's like a marriage. The, The wedding vows are not for in health, in riches, right? The wedding vows are for in sickness and in poverty. You don't have to make a promise about staying with somebody who's rich, right? I promise I'll stay with you as long as you're a millionaire. Thank you, honey. That's great. No, no, no. It's when you're living in a cardboard box because you blew it. Your investment didn't come through. You shorted the wrong stock and now you've lost your shorts and now you're in a cardboard box and I'm going to stay with you, honey. You know, And so likewise, in the ministry, you don't pray and fast for the thousands that are going to come to know the Lord and the packed house and the unbelievable stories of people's lives being changed. It's going to be for the empty auditoriums. It's going to be for the people that don't like the color of the carpet or chairs. It's going to be for those times, those lean, thin, stretching moments of faith 
that you hold on to that verse 3 and remember, no, God sent me here. I'm, I'm, I'm serving him. I will serve people if he brings them, but I'm here to serve him in the ministry. In any ministry that God calls you to, sets you apart for, separates you for, it's for him. You're serving God. You're serving God. And if people show up, praise the Lord. So John departs from them, leaves, abandons, and that's not good in the ministry. And he returned to Jerusalem. When they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogues on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. You bet. Glad to. So Paul does this teaching where he kind of does a Hebrews 1, 1 thing. God at various times has spoken to us through, and he kind of goes through their history. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years, until Samuel the prophet. And after, uh, afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before, he, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. So he breaks it off to him that's that's Jesus. And this is from uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. Jesse, the offspring, the root of Jesse, comes David, but Jesus, the Messiah, comes from this. Also, Revelation 22, 16 describes um, Jesus is, is uh, coming from David and so on. So he's trying to break the news to them in a good way. Hey, you know, you guys are out in the sticks. You're clear out here. You've got a synagogue out here. You maybe heard rumors about Jerusalem. Let me tell you how it all went down. This Jesus, this Jesus, he came from the line of David. And he says, John the Baptist, you guys all know about him. Oh, yeah, we know John the Baptist. Well, he was speaking of that one that was coming after him. Jesus is that guy. Verse 26, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham. Now he says that on purpose. Sons of the family of faith, right? Abraham's the father of faith. Remember that, faith. And those among you who fear God, those are the only two people that are going to hear this. You've got to have both of those. You've got to have fear. You've got to have faith. And now the rest of this is going to make a lot of sense to those two groups or that one group if you're both. To you, the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, Jesus, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, having fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. 
He was seen by many day, seen by many days. I'm sorry. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, good news, that that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So this Jesus who died was raised from the dead. Paul puts everything in there, starting from Abraham, working his way through. All the prophets spoke of the Messiah having to suffer, all these things. It happened. He died, but he rose again, and God raised him up, just like everything was supposed to be done. Just perfect. It's good news. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. That's what that psalm means, you guys. You guys read it all the time here. That psalm that you read and wonder, what do you mean he's not going to see corruption? Jesus. For David, you guys thought it was David. You thought that psalm was talking about David. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and he saw corruption. So it can't be David that this is talking about. This has got to be someone else. Because that was the problem. How can the Messiah be the king and die? Can't get my mind around it. I can't get my mind around a dying Messiah and the king. That just sounds bad. Can't be. So this one who, who, who's not going to see corruption has got to be, it's got to be David. And he's like, no, 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 you guys have been wrong for this many years. It's not David. David saw corruption. His body eroded and corroded and everything. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. So you've got the truth. You've got a decision to make. Life or death, make sure that the next thing I say doesn't happen to you. Here's what was prophesied. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So he pulls that prophecy out. If you don't believe this, this is what's going to happen to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So you got this mixed crowd in the town. Who would have thunk it that Gentiles were there, you know? And there they are. And when he said this very, this verse 39, and by him everyone who believes is justified, that would have been like, usually we're left out of these sermons. Usually we're just kind of like hmm, tolerated back here in the back row, if not outside the walls, listening through the windows. But this guy just said everybody can be saved. Now the Jews are like, hmm, we'll think about this. That's kind of what the idea is when they leave. But the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Oh, guys, you got it. You can't go. Please teach more. We're dying for it. Oh. Guys, those are the people you minister to. I know we like to get in arguments with those that are thick-headed and hate God and are atheists, and that, that is a ministry all on its own. I understand that it's, it's like a rock, and with every hammer tick, you're cracking and you're making spider cracks in the thing, and you're hoping. 
But there are a whole host of people that are lost right now that don't know Jesus but are dying to hear some good news. And when they hear it, they receive it with gladness and are saved. Yeah, by all means, if you've got the time and there's nobody else in front of you but this hard-headed, thick-headed person that doesn't want to know God at all, never wanted to hear a word come out of your mouth, and you feel like you're the one to step in and break the ice, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But look at this. This is how ministry is done. Hey, guys, just wanted to know, I'm here to declare to you the truth. And some people walked away, and other people are begging to hear more than we focus on those begging. We don't chase after those that could care less. There's just plenty of people that need Jesus right here, you know. Now, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue on in the grace of God. Not in the law of God, but in the grace of God. Continue on in that. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Talk about white and ready for harvest. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know how big this town was, but I bet Paul and Bonhamus are like, and you know what? Maybe it isn't so uncommon. Maybe it's just uncommon today. Maybe these guys saw it all the time. Usually there's a riot with everybody in town or everybody's getting saved. It really wasn't a 50-50 thing. But when they came back the next Saturday to preach some more to those Gentiles who were begging us, remember those guys? Oh, they were so sweet, you know. They really wanted to hear more of the Lord. Oh, I, I think I'm going to share this. What do you think, Barnabas? Yeah, you should really share that, Paul. That really spoke to my heart. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. And they show up at church on next Saturday, and everybody's there. I mean, the whole town is there, babies and moms and dads and the whole crowd's there. I just love this scene. So... They all came together to hear the word of God. And so God, guys, when this happens, prepare yourself for 45. When 44 happens, 45 happens. Because Satan doesn't give up ground. He's not like, oh, I guess I lost today. He's not that kind of guy. He's a thug. And he's got people imprisoned. And he does not want to let anybody out. He wants them to suffer and be miserable like he is going to be suffering and miserable. He doesn't want to let anybody... That is the whole point of the Garden of Eden. Oh, great. I got kicked out of heaven. Oh, great. He's found iniquity in me. Well, you know what? I see how much you love those two people, so let me see if I can trick them into following me so that they can be miserable and I can stab your heart at the same time, God. And that's the idea behind the Garden of Eden. Hey, come on. Don't you want to have... He wants to keep... And Eve falls for it. Adam falls for it. And now he's got the whole world... God steps in. Get that. Understand that. When 44 happens, 45 happens. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Fine. You don't want to hear it? These guys do. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Beautiful. That was exciting to them. They weren't leftovers. They weren't secondary. They weren't like, well... Sorry, guys, the Jews don't want us here. They're rejecting it, so um, well, we're going to go. No, no, that's fine. 
you guys. It's all about you guys right now. They don't want it. They don't have to have it. We're focused on you. I love it. I love it. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believe. Remember, we were chosen before the foundations of the world. It's so exciting. God has chosen us for salvation. And it's difficult for us to comprehend that he also gave us absolutely complete free will to choose him at the exact same time. People line up on either side. I'm going to be a Calvinist. I'm going to be an Arminianist. And that's how we're going to be, kind of thing. When God says, nope, I'm both. I'm both. I foreordained, based on the foreknowledge of your choice, you all have the ability, every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth that's ever walked this earth has the ability, has the option, has the choice to choose salvation in Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And yet God is completely sovereign and has chosen those before the foundations of the world to be appointed to salvation, those who he foreknew were going to choose him. Beautiful. A mystery, but still wonderful. And so these guys that were appointed to eternal life, they believed. Of course they would. He knew that. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women, and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now that's not what you thought 52 was going to say. I wouldn't have. And they rose up this thing and, and kicked them out, and they kicked off the dust of their feet, and they went trudging along in depressed moods all the way to the next ministry. No, no, no. They leave a wake of joy and the power of the Holy Spirit behind them wherever these guys go. You ain't, you ain't stopping this train. I love it. I love it. Everybody thought if they killed Jesus, cut the head off that snake and we're going to be get rid of that cult, get rid of those weirdos, cut him off and the disciples will all die. Nope. Sick Paul on them. Let's bring some persecution. Put the fear of Rome into them. Put the fear of uh, you know, the, I don't know, the temple into them, I guess, the, the Jewish guys into them. Let's do that. That didn't work. That just fanned the flames. It's like blowing on a fire, trying to blow out a a forest fire, you know, it adds oxygen. And so they thought, well, maybe if we can kick this Paul and Barnabas out, they're, they're, just, they're just, these Gentiles are getting high and mighty now. So they shook the dust off, but they leave behind them disciples that were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It's awesome. That's the point of this book. They're not going to see these guys for years. What's going to happen to these guys? They've only been there a week and a half or two weeks at best. What's going to happen to these poor disciples? Everything's going to happen to them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit.